0: Uh, 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 uh. This is the SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Colarsep. It is Wednesday morning. And there is so much to talk about in the soccer world. Craziness, craziness, craziness. Lionel Messi no longer plays for FC Barcelona. Didn't think I'd hear those words. At least not for a few more new years And at least not until he went to MLS But he is not coming to MLS Not yet He is with Paris Saint-Germain And they have just created the dream team The new dream team We'll talk about that a little bit Obviously the focus here at SBI The focus here on the SBI show Is American soccer And yes we actually have tons to talk about On the American soccer front we have transfers, Josh Sargent, we have debuts, Conrad De Fuente, we have MLS, you name it, we got it, we're going to cover it all. And we'll start with, no we won't start with no Messi, we will start with Josh Sargent. The American striker, US men's national team striker is on the move and he is heading to England after months of of being linked to a return to the bundesliga he is instead heading to norwich city newly promoted norwich city league championship uh title winners and it's an interesting move and i, I, I will say i'm not that i'm surprised but it was interesting to see the the old fears come out fears among american soccer fans who at the idea of an american striker going to England because of the traumas of the past because of Josie Altidore and his failed stints at Hull City and more painfully at Sunderland. And here we are all these years later, Josh Sargent completing an $11 million move. Might be more than that, actually. Uh, There's definitely add-ons, so it it could end up being more than that. And immediately there's some concerns like, oh, is he going to play there? They have Timo Puki. Is there room for him? I, I would say this. I don't think Norwood City is spending that money because Norwood City isn't, you know, they're not Man City, they're not Man United. They don't, they're not swimming in money. They've obviously been promoted and they want to stay up. They did sell Emmy Buendia, so they had some money to spend. They bought Rashika also for vertebramen back in June. They're trying to hold on to Todd Kentwell, who apparently Aston Villa is trying to target, and Aston Villa obviously has the Jack Grealish money burning a hole in their pocket. So for right now, Norwood City, look, they're going to be in the battle. They're going to be in the relegation battle. But I think Josh Sargent, I think it's fair to say he is joining a team that is better, a Norwood City team that's better than the Werder Brayman team he just played for this past season. And Rashika was probably one of the only bright spots on that Bremen team. And he is with he is there. And that's a big plus. That's a plus for Sargent, to the fact that you have a teammate, a, long, uh, you know, a long-time longtime Bremen teammate, also joining Norwood City at the same time you are. So I think that's big. That's big for him. And look, to get to play with a player like Timu He's the, the Finnish striker. He's a... He's a talent, you know. He's he's a proven goal scorer. He's got the, the the track record. But again, he's on the other side of the 30 now. So you want to think there's going to be opportunities. And there's nothing to say that you can't play them together. I think what works in Sargent's favor is that he's a little more versatile than I think people give him credit for being. You can play him in a two-striker setup. You can play him wide. You can play him underneath. So it's... uh For me, I think... Would I say it's a can't-miss move? No. There's there's very few can't-miss moves. There are very few moves that are just like, you know, every single move has risk to it. Every single move, especially when you're going to a new league and you're going to a better league than the one you were in, and no knock on Bundesliga. Bundesliga, very good league, but the Premier League is a higher level. It's a better league. It's the best league in the world. You can say that again. And there's been times when, you know, you could definitely argue it, and there's Premier League fans who have never stopped saying the Premier League is, in the, be- is the best league in the world, and I get it. It can be annoying at, at a certain points. But right now... Now you got to say the Premier League is the best league in the world. So you can understand why Josh Sargent wants to go there. And no, it's not just about the money. I know the money helps. He's going to get a bigger payday playing in the Premier League than he than he ever got in the, in the Bundesliga. But while the money is nice, as the, you know, a player, especially a young player, it's the challenge. It's the challenge of being able to succeed in the best league in the world. Because if you succeed, it's kind of like the old uh, New York, New York uh, lyrics. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. If you score goals... If you can become a starter, if you can succeed in the Premier League, you've made it. That's it. That's like the you know, obviously yes, Champions League. You wanna, you know, crush it at Champions League, that's a higher level. But in terms of leagues, in terms of in terms of individual leagues, if you are a hit in the Premier League, I mean that's it. You 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 are you know, that puts you in a different level. Different stratosphere. Now, Sargent still has to actually do it. He has to fight for the minutes. He has to fight for the playing time. And then he has to score goals when the chances come. And I will say it's a little... It's funny to me seeing that there's, there's a bit of cynicism towards Sargent already among some U.S. fans. And I get it. You can't please everybody. There's always going to be some fans who aren't happy with people. There's always going to be players who who get their fair share of flack. You know, like, you know, Jesse's artist, perfect example. But I was a little surprised to to see that Sargent gets some of that. Why, why doesn't he score goals for the U.S.? It's like, what are we, what? The guy's? first of all, he's 21. Number two, the team put, barely played last year in 2020. So you're talking, what, the Nations League? He didn't score in the Nations League. Okay, he's trash. Let's, let's move on. Let's find somebody else. Is that what's going on here? Like, seriously? Like, let's settle down, people. Are we really scrapping him because he didn't score? a goal? Like, listen, if Josh Sargent, and not to knock anyone who scored against Martinique, but I can promise you. If Josh Sargent played against Martinique in the Gold Cup, if Josh Sargent started against Martinique in the Gold Cup, he would have scored a goal or three. And I think people need to start putting some respect on Josh Sargent's name because I really feel like not uh, you get some people who clearly don't watch him play. They didn't watch Bremen games, really. They see the results, they see the, score, the goals, the lack of goals, and they think, oh, what's going on? When the reality is he scored a good number of goals considering the team, considering the lack of quality on that team, the lack of chances on that team. And I feel like I've been, you know, broken record here on on the SBI show for a good while now in saying he has gotten better. His all-around game has improved. There's a reason reason Norwood City identified him and decided to spend the money on him. Eight-figure transfer. Now he still has to do the business. He still has to get on the field and then score the goals once he gets on the field. And it's not a given. It's a tough league. And it's even tougher when you are playing for a team expected to battle in the relegation zone. Especially if they sell Cantwell. If they sell Todd Cantwell, I mean, he is their their best playmaker. You sell him, all of a sudden, you know, you're scrambling to try to replace him. I mean, if they can get, you know, what, 30, 40 million for Cantwell, if Aston Villa, which again, they have all this Jack Grealish money, which they've been using. I mean, they signed Leon Bailey. They side, as I mentioned earlier, they side uh, Buendia. If they can get Cantwell also, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be great for Norwood City. It wouldn't be. Or Josh Sargent. But it's still, for me, miles away from being the type of bad situation that Josie Altador was in when he was on loan at Hull City and when he transferred to Sunderland. Josie Altador was on some of the worst teams in the past 20 years in the Premier League. That whole city team was ridiculously bad that he was on loan with. I still remember going to uh, I was in England, I was at Everton, I got to see Everton Whole City, Landon Donovan when he was with Everton against Whole City with Josie Autodore at Whole City. I'm gonna say twenty eleven, could be wrong on the year. But I, I, I do remember Bob Bradley actually was also there. he was at, was at Goodison Park and that whole city team was terrible. So no, no one should have been surprised that a young teenage Josie Altador couldn't get goals on the, at one of the worst teams in, in recent memory in the Premier League. Same thing at Sunderland. Now Altador did deserve some of the blame in Sunderland, like he could have scored some more he could have scored goals there. He could have scored some goals there. like he really it was really bad, obviously, for those who remember. It was a bad, bad Sunderland season. Bad, bad Sunderland team. But some other people did score goals there, and he didn't. And that was on him. But I, I got to say, I think it's unfair to even think about trying to group him and Sargent in that. No situations, it's just not. They're not. It's apples and oranges. It's like worse than that. It's apples and watermelons. It's apples and pine. It's not close. Sargent is heading. Sargent is going to the Premier League. With a considerable amount of Bundesliga playing time under his belt. And experience. We're talking about 80 games of experience under his belt. So he's not hes not a kid. I mean he's young. He's still 21. But he's got some serious minutes under his belt. He's got some experience. Much more than Altidore had at Hull City. And playing at a higher level than Altidore played at in the Netherlands before he went to Sunderland. So I just don't. I really don't like the comparisons, and I think it's like, really, are people that like this wasn't even it wasn't even that recent the the Altador thing. So I just it just struck me as funny that people would dig those up, dig that up as a reason to worry about the uh, the the Sergeant move. I don't know, it's just it's funny to me. But anyway, going back to Sergeant and getting to the point, I actually like the move. It's going to challenge him, but I think he's up for the challenge. I think he's going to get on the field. I think he's going to fight. And I think he's going to do well, well enough to you know continue to be a factor there, and well enough to keep himself sharp for the for the national team. Which at the end of the day, if you're if you're an American soccer fan, that's kind of what you care about most, right? U.S. Men's National Team. You want the best U.S. Men's National Team players playing regularly, playing at a high level, and that's what he's doing. So we'll see what happens. You know, when you want to talk about a transfer that looks like it's pan, it's panning out pretty well. We got to talk Conrad De La Fuente. First game for Marseille. League on debut. And he has a great game. He sets up the first goal. Gets a ass- great move to set up an assist on the first goal in a comeback. Marseille was down 2-0. De La Fuente helps, helps set up the first goal. And sparks a comeback. They win 3-2. Dream start. Dream debut. And, you know, it's just interesting in the context of what's going on at Barcelona, right, with Lionel Messi and the disaster at Barcelona, the financial disaster at Barcelona. And I know, I, you know, it's only natural to think, oh wow, man, like, if, if only he had stayed at Barcelona. Now with Messi gone, he could have got some playing time there. But you got to understand, Barcelona's in such financial distress. They were just scrambling to sell anything that wasn't tied down they were selling whatever they could get you know 10 cents on the dollar for and unfortunately uh, Delafonte was a was a victim of that but De La Fuente was one of the commodities they had on the books that they could sell and they sold him and guess what he's doing well off to a good start Marseille is a very good team and all of a sudden Ligue 1 there's a lot more eyeballs on Ligue 1 now with Lionel Messi there so that's good for everybody in the, in in Fran- in the French league it's good for De La Fuente. it's good for Tim Weah and all of a sudden, you, I mean, you can definitely argue right now that, you know, in terms of American soccer fans, America, the American soccer fan base has much more reason to care about League 1 than La Liga. As a matter of fact, right now you can argue that if you ranked the leagues in Europe, in terms of American soccer fans, and I, and I don't mean in terms of like who has more fans in America, but I mean just in terms of having a reason to watch and having a reason to care about these leagues... You could argue like La Liga is now fifth because you have the Bundesliga, with you know G Arena, John Brooks, now Joe Scalley, who we'll get we'll get into in a little bit, uh, Tyler Adams, Jesse Marsh. I mean, you can argue Bundesliga is number one in terms of the American soccer uh, U.S. men's national team fan interest, American soccer fan interest. You can argue Bundesliga is number one. Premier League is obviously, the, you know, the most popular league in the world. And, and you know how many American soccer fans love the Premier League. So you can make a case for for Premier League being number one. I'll put him at number two. You got Pulisic. We'll see how he does this season with Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea now adding Romelu Lukaku. So minutes in playing time in the attack, it's going to be even tougher, even tougher fight for playing time. But you have Pulisic. You have Sargent. You have Zach Steffen, who, you know, obviously he's, he's Ederson's backup. So you wonder how much time he's going to get. But it's a decent amount of, of there for American soccer fans to kind of keep track of. Now, and now you have Serie A. Serie A has all of a sudden jumped in and moved up the ranks. Because you have Weston McKinney at Juventus. You now have Gianluca Busio and Tanner Tessman and potentially Eric Palmer Brown at Venezia. You have Brian Reynolds at AS Roma. That's a that's a pretty nice uh, collection, especially when you think about how many years it was just unheard of for Americans to be in Serie A. I mean, Michael Bradley obviously went. He was, you know, he had his time at uh at Chievo and then Roma. You had at one point Joshua Perez, who's you know, briefly you know, in in Italy as well. But now you actually have a reason if you're an American soccer fan who doesn't otherwise have ties to watch or care about Serie A. Now you have multiple storylines. You have multiple things to follow. So Syria is 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 up there now that you can argue they're third. And who's fourth? La Liga, you have Serginho Dest, and that's it. In terms of American soccer players playing in Spain, uh, Shaq Moore, by all accounts, is going to stay at Tenerife, the 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 Spanish second division side, even though there was interest reportedly from La Liga teams. The latest is you know, it came out, I think it's the sporting director or the head, or the manager of, of Tenérife came out and said, "No, he's going to probably stay. He's going to stay with us." Now, whether that's bargaining, negotiating, who knows. But right now, you have one player in La Liga, in Sergio Dest, one American, one US national team player. And you don't have any transcendent worldwide superstars in la liga anymore. Cristiano Ronaldo left a couple years ago. Messi has left now. Even Sergio Ramos left. So like you know that I saw that being asked somewhere It's like who are the who's the who are the biggest stars in la liga now? Luis Suarez? Pedri? You get I mean Pedri, 18-year-old Spanish midfielder who by the way give this kid a rest he just played he okay he played a full, his first full season as a pro he plays at barcelona plays tons of minutes goes straight to euros plays in euros plays the whole thing makes like the team of the tournament and then from there he goes straight to the olympics helps lead spain to the gold medal game they lose to brazil now at that point you think pedri's going on a boat to be you know lay on a beach in Ibiza for a few weeks and no he is the kid is already in in training he was i saw footage today on wednesday of Pedri arriving at training. Obviously, the La Liga season starts this weekend, so you can kind of understand, but I mean, give the kid a break. Give him a rest. He's going to break down. I worry about him. But back to the point. There's more reason to foul on than La Liga right now. And I just think that's super interesting. Because, I mean, if you, had, if you had made this list just, you know, let's say three, four years ago, how different that list would be. La Liga would be number two. Not because there were Americans there, but just obviously when you had Ronaldo, you had Messi, there was, you know, super appeal, transcendent appeal. But tell you what, Serie A and Liga, much more reason to follow if you're an American soccer fan. Now, I know I've gone a complete tangent there, but uh, in terms of talking about those European leagues, obviously the Bundesliga, which I just said is probably number one, and it's because of players like Arena. And I got to talk about Giorena because he looked pretty sharp in Dortmund's DFB Pokal win over last weekend he was one of their better players you could argue you know, obviously Erling Haaland was was the goal scoring dynamo as he always is but watching Gio Reyna, he looks super confident he looked really sharp and obviously it, it's DFB Pokal it's you know they're playing Wiesbaden it's not a high level team but still he looked good he's wearing the new number 7 he inherited from Jadon Sancho now that Sancho's moved on to Man United and Reyna, it's going to be a big year for Reyna, because as as good as he was last season He's going to have much more responsibility this year. They're going to be looking to him even more to create and to lead that attack and to really help set up chances for Erling Haaland. And he's up for it. I think he's ready for it. I think he's going to have a huge year. Double-digit double goals, double-digit assists. You should kind of target that as can Raina do that, can Raina deliver that. I think he can. Still only 18, which is crazy. But we all have seen how talented he is. And how important he is for the U.S. men's national team. And now that his role is increasing at Dortmund, I think you're really going to see him blossom and take that next step. And you know what? Who knows how much longer he'll be there. Because I think he's definitely due for a big move in in a couple of years. Two years tops. I give him two more years at Dortmund's tops. More likely one more year. But he's off to a good start and you'd love to see that. Another player that had a good start, although his team did not have a good start, was Julian Green, who scored a goal, converted a shootout penalty kick, but could not keep Groethe Firth from uh, uh, a little bit of a shock DFB-Pokal elimination against fourth division side Babelsberg. And that's pretty embarrassing. But the the bright side for, for SBI show listeners that are most are American soccer fans is the fact that Green looked really good. He was man of the match for for Firth. And also Timothy Tillman started in this match and played 100 plus minutes. And he is still someone who potentially could be a factor in terms of U.S. men's national team, youth national team setups. I don't know how old he is now. But he is someone to remember the name. Because uh, he's still a possibility in terms of, you know, choosing to play for the United States. But Julian Green off to a good start to the season. I don't know what kind of season it's going to be for Firth I think they're, I think it's it's going to be a rough uh it's going to be a rough go in the Bundesliga for Firth. I have a feeling because I just haven't seen them really make many moves and it's going to be a tough one because I don't think they're the deepest team and you know when you're talking about the Bundesliga and the grind of the Bundesliga you need depth you need quality on your bench I think that's where Firth is going to is going to struggle but as long as you want as an American soccer fan you want to see Green do well. And if he, you know, you you have to, he has to know that he has to play well, not just for his club team, but also for his chances for the national team. If he is going to have a role in World Cup qualifying in September, he has to get off to a fast start in the Bundesliga. And it it does bode well that he was their best player in this loss, this Pokal loss. Kind of shows you, yeah, you know what? He's up for it. He's ready to go. He's flying into this new season. And I think he absolutely can be part of the World Cup qualifying setup, especially when you consider Greg Burhalter has already said he's going to have a larger squad. So if he has a 28 to 30 player squad for that three game qualifying stint, there's no reason to think Julian Green can't be part of that, especially if he is going to be a regular starter for Firth. And he's going to have two or three Bundesliga matches under his belt, hopefully some momentum heading into that. Especially when some other players aren't necessarily going to be playing. Someone like Gianluca Busio just moved over to Venezia. Is he going to get playing time right away? Remains to be seen. So remember Julian Green. Because I think he's going to be a factor for World Cup qualifying. Another American who made a debut in Germany. Joe Scali earned a start and actually played really well. Eighteen-year-old, by the way, eighteen-year-old fullback Joe Scally, former NYCFC Academy product, transferred to Mönchengladbach. Borussia Mönchengladbach joined them in January, and he's been tearing it up in preseason. And you always wonder, kind of like, what that means. You know, take it, do you take it with a grain of salt? Is it real? Is he really making progress? Can he really break into the first team? But here he is. Mönchengladbach had an injury to their starting left back. Scally gets the chance, and does well with it played well. He's a right back natural right back, but he played at left back for for Mönchengladbach in their DFB Pokal win. And now Scali's looking like he has a good chance, a good possibility of starting in Mönchengladbach's Bundesliga opener on Friday against Bayern Munich. And talk about life coming at you fast. In January you're, you know, you've got a couple of minutes in MLS with NYCFC, you go to you go to Mönchengladbach, you're playing in their second team. You have a strong preseason, and here you are. You might be playing starting against Bayern in the Bundesliga opener. That's at 18 years old. That's pretty impressive for for an 18 year old defender. That would be pretty impressive, and you can add Scally to that long list of U.S. men's national team slash American right backs. And how about that? I mean, that's I remember the days when there were no right backs other than Steve not reliable ones. And now you've got, I mean, you've got more than a half dozen very exciting prospects, promising prospects, and some veterans sprinkled in there. DeAndre Yedlin, Shaq Moore. But Scali's going to be in the picture if he if he can if he can be you know earn regular minutes. And it's not going to be easy, by the way, because there's always competition, and he has competition here. There's some young fullbacks that are that are in that mix that he's ahead of now. But now it's up to him to stay ahead of those guys. And he, and also, you know, Borjan Gladbach's left back. Eventually, will get healthy, and eventually, will come back. So, Scally just needs to make the most of these minutes to show he can handle himself on that level. There's no reason to think he can't. So, you know what? Keep an eye out on on Scally and Borjan Gladbach. You have to add him to the list of players you need to keep track of. Now, obviously, also on the Americans abroad front, you're going to have transfers still going on. There's another. What, three weeks left before the, the transfer windows close? And one player who could definitely be on the move is Owen Otisowi, the young uh, defensive midfielder slash center back who's at Wolves now. He's on the books at Wolves, but he looks like he's headed for a move. And it's reported that Club Rouge looks like the destination, and that would be huge because of the fact that they're playing in Champions League. Or right now they're in... Actually, you know, no, they're automa- I think they're automatically in. They're in the group stage, so that, that would be big. To have it yet another American potentially in Champions League, and we all know that last year Americans set a record for the most Americans to take part in the American, in the Champions League group stage, right? I don't remember if it was seven or eight off the top of my head. I can't remember, but it was it was a good number. It blew away the old number. But now that number could also be blown away. I, I was I was writing a piece on Jordan Cibichu, and uh, I'll, I'll touch on him in a little bit, but. Just keeping track, and you could have up to 12, up to 12 Americans taking, 12 American players taking part in the Champions League group stage. That's crazy. I mean, that's impressive. It's great. You love to see it. But 12, I mean, eight was like thought of as like good. Like, oh man, eight. Like, you go from like four or five being the record. I think five was the record. Then you get eight last season, and now you could have 12 this season. And that's unbelievable. But again, Otisoe, the transfer is not done. It hasn't happened yet. But by all accounts, Wolves looks like they're ready to move him. He doesn't want to sign a new deal. He's got one year left on his contract with with Wolves. And you know what? He doesn't want to sign a new deal. They got to move. Him. And if it's Club Bruges, that'd be great because Club, you know, obviously they're they're a good team. They play in Champions League. And uh, you know, it'd be a good chance for him to develop. He's he's a prospect still. He's young. He's been in the national team in the US national team setup, but He's not ready to to challenge yet until he starts to play regularly on the club level. And club Rouge, you know, hopefully for him it could it could present that opportunity for him. You now, obviously, in the transfer window, there's there's quite a few players who are still in limbo, right? You have Chris Richards, one of the bigger names. He's still with Bayern. There was talk of Leicester City, although now Leicester City is targeting uh, Inter Milan center back to to help replace Wesley Fofana. So. It's looking less likely that he goes to Leicester City. Obviously, Hoffenheim has wanted him back you know, for a while now, whether or not they're willing to pay the transfer fee, because I don't think Bayern's not going to loan him again. And it can't be ruled out that maybe Nagelsmann decides to keep Chris Richards and have him be in, in the rotation at center back, which obviously would be great. It'd be great to have Chris Richards at Bayern if he's going to play a role, if he's going to get on the field. I mean, you don't want to just go there and be like the fourth center back and never get on the field, play a little bit of Pokal, and that's it. I mean, that's not enough for a player like Chris Richards, who who's, you have to think has aspirations to jump into the national team setup, compete for playing time there, compete for a starting role with the men's national team. He has that talent, but he needs to play. He needs to be playing regularly and consistently because the competition at center back with the U.S. is, is, is strong. Miles Robinson and James Sands, I mean, these two coming off the Gold Cups that they had, especially Robinson. I mean, right now Robinson, Miles Robinson and John Brooks are your starting center backs for World Cup qualifying in my opinion. No question about it. But after that, it's pretty wide open. Mark McKenzie has started the the, the Belgian season starting league matches, but he didn't start in the Champions League playoff qualifiers for for Genk. So you kind of wonder where he's at. He's in the picture, obviously. You have Walker Zimmerman in MLS. Matt Miazga still sorting out his club situation, so you kind of, you know, I don't know if he's going to be in the picture for September, to be honest. The point is, it's a pretty open situation, but Richards needs to be playing. And as much as I know that they're, uh, you know, and I'm part of the group, I'm part of the group that believes he is one of the most talented center back prospects, absolutely future starter for the national team, but if he's not playing, I don't know if he's on the team in September as much although working in his favor again, the fact that Berhalter is going to bring a bigger team than normal, so it could help him. But listen, if he's not playing, let's say, say, let's say Richard stays at Byron. He's fourth choice center back. He's not playing, doesn't get any minutes. He's sitting on the bench for the next three weeks. I don't know if anyone could blame Berhalter at that point if you don't bring in a Chris Richards when he's not playing over options who are playing and who are have the match fitness, the match sharpness. Because I already can see it. Heaven forbid, <laughs> heaven forbid, Greg Berhalter calls in some MLS center backs over Chris Richards, who obviously some people love, and I, I've been singing his praises forever. But you need to be playing, especially at center back. It's one thing to be an attacking player that you know you could throw out there, or even a goalkeeper, like obviously Zach Steffen, who isn't necessarily going to be playing consistently. But a center back, you want a center back who's playing consistently. So the fact is, there's just other center backs who are more than likely going to be playing consistent minutes and be sharp and fit come September. So if Chris Richards isn't part of that, if if Chris Richards, the, even if he doesn't make the September group, right? He's going to be there eventually. He's like in my opinion because I just think he's that good. But if it doesn't happen for him, I don't think anyone should be freaking out in, if he's not part of the group in September. But hopefully it gets sorted out his club situation and we know what's going on. And hopefully whatever happens, he's somewhere getting games. Hopefully that's Hoffenheim maybe it's still maybe it still ends up being Leicester City. I don't think it'll be Bayern. Just because it's tough there, you know, it, it's it's tough for him to get on the field consistently. Unless he's completely blowing away Nagelsmann in training. Which would be great to see. But it bears watching. He, he's He's definitely, if you're thinking about Americans who still have to sort out their club situations this month. Richards is right near the top of the list just because of his talent. Because you need him to, like, he needs to settle somewhere that helps him get time. But he's not alone. You got Cameron Carter-Vickers. You've got Eric Palmer Brown, you've got obviously Miazga, and and then Oda who's who still it's that deal needs to be worked out. So there's quite a few Americans still, and then you know Reggie Cannon, another one. Reggie Cannon does not want to stay at Boa Vista. They don't want to get rid of him. They don't want to sell him because they have a my understanding is they have a transfer ban. So they, it's all well and good for them to sell him, but if they sell him, they can't replace him. So that's why Reggie Cannon probably isn't going anywhere, which is unfortunate for him because he wants to go. From what I'm told, uh, I think it was Nottingham Forest in England was interested in him. They wanted to bring him in. There was a team in Italy that was interested in bringing him. But if, uh, if Boavis doesn't, if they can't sell, don't want to sell. Reggie Cannon just got to play it out. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting last few weeks. in the transfer window for Americans Abroad, Uh, I think that's it. I think we've covered the Americans Abroad category. And now we can talk a little U.S. Men's National Team, even though all of this previously was somewhat pretty much U.S. Men's National Team related. But I did want to talk about the September qualifiers. And I'm not going to get into a full deep dive into the teams but what I'll do is, for now, I'll talk about the goalkeeper position and the and the defenders. And then next episode, we'll get into midfielders and striker and forwards, just to break it up a bit. Because if I tried to talk about the whole team, that I mean, that would just take forever. So I'm going to write a piece for SBI, and you'll be and as you're listening to this, you should be able to go on SBI and read it because it'll be out by then, hopefully. If not, it will definitely be out at some point on Wednesday. But I will break down the players that I see right now being part of Greg Berhalter's qualifying camp. And as I said earlier, it will be a bigger team than normal because of the fact that you have three games and Berhalter is going to have to rotate some players. He's going to need a bigger squad. So whereas normally you get 21, 22, 23 players in a camp, now you're going to get 26, 27, 28. Could we see up to 30? That's that's going to be an interesting one. So I'm going to project thirty. Give myself a little leeway there because you know even cutting even with thirty, you're going to see some players that are left out that are going to have people saying what? How do you leave him out? I guarantee you, because it's just without you know it's just going to happen. It's inevitable. But we'll start with goalkeeper, and it's goalkeeper is pretty straightforward. You have Zach Steffen, who is still the number one. As much as look, Matt Turner was amazing in the Gold Cup, but I still think Zach Steffen's your number one. And by the way, Zach Steffen, really good showing in the community shield. Man City lost on a late penalty. But Steffen had a very good game, I thought. He made a very big save in the first half. He ended up, I think, with four saves. His passing was sharp, and he just looked good. He looked confident. It's obviously unfortunate playing time is going to be a little tough for him. He's going to be... You know, resign to cup matches in the, the the whether the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup. That's kind of it's gonna you know he's gonna have that kind of diet again of of matches just like last season. So it's not ideal, but he still is top choice, number one US uh, goalkeeper for my money. Now, Matt Turner with the goal cup that he had and as sharp as he looked, he's made it a conversation. He's made it a conversation, and if you are Greg Berhalter and you are gonna rotate your squad. You can see Matt Turner getting a start. I can see Matt Turner starting against Canada in Nashville. If you want to break it up. If you're not just going to have Zach Steffen start three straight games, I can see Turner getting a second game. But then you also have Ethan Horvath, who obviously has made the move to Nottingham Forest. He, he's not the starter at Forest, although he is going to play. He's going to start for them in their Carabao Cup match on Wednesday afternoon, which is... The day that this episode is is dropping, so we don't know how he's doing or how how he's going to end up doing. But it's good to see that he's going to start getting some time and having a chance to really uh, fight for that starting job at Nottingham Forest. But he'll, for my money, Ethan Horvath is going to be part of that World Cup qualifying camp. And I, I still have Stefan ahead of him. I say, and I, st- I per- honestly I have uh, Matt Turner ahead of Horvath right now. But I think that's year three. After that, I don't know if I see Berhalter bringing a fourth goalkeeper. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a little tricky one. Obviously, you can go with someone that's in MLS if you want. Um, but I think that's your three. That's your main three. I mean, obviously, Sean Johnson's one. Um, I think probably Sean Johnson's the most likely to be the fourth if there's a fourth. Now defenders and there's some there's some interesting decisions for for Berhalter to make. When, when you talk about defenders. And I'll give you my list as of right now defenders that I see being part of the World Cup qualifying camp. We'll start with the, you know, the what could be the starting four. And that I'll go with Serginho Dest, John Brooks, Miles Robinson, Anthony Robinson. Now, Anthony Robinson's still at Fulham. He hasn't made a move yet, even though he'd been linked in, in, in the past two Premier League teams. He's at Fulham. As of right now, it looks like he's going to try to help keep them up or help move them back up, uh, gain promotion. But I'll go with that for. And then we go Sam Vines, Mark McKenzie, James Sands, Walker Zimmerman, Reggie Cannon, and Shaq Moore. And uh, who misses out in that in that that list? Uh, you have Brian Reynolds, Chris Richards, Matt Miazga, George Bello, Eric Palmer Brown, Cameron Carter-Vickers, DeAndre Yedlin, and also the D.C. youngster Kevin Paredes, who, you know, is looking really good in MLS. And there's not a ton of left-back options, so he's one. So those are some of the names. Um, and I know some people will say, wait a minute, Chris Richards, uh, we should, he should be there ahead of Walker Zimmerman. And it's like, look, at the end of the day, you want people who are playing. Walker Zimmerman is going to be playing. He has experience. He has national team experience. He has that edge over Chris Richards right now. And if and if Chris Richards is not playing uh for if he's not if he doesn't spend the if he's got the next three weeks, if he's not getting games, I don't see him getting called in. I just don't. Now maybe Berhalter proves me wrong, maybe he brings him in anyway, or or maybe he, he does choose to bring him in, but I don't know if I see it. Now, if Chris Richards goes back to Hoffenheim, if they buy him, or if he goes to Leicester City and and you know, works his way into the lineup. Things change. Absolutely. Things change. Or, you know what? What if Bayern? whatever happens at Bayern, he stays at and he gets games at Byron. Then you're, that's, a, then we're talking a whole different subject. A whole different story. Then at that point, you have to call. But that's what it's going to take. And Brian Reynolds, obviously he's at Roma. He's not expected to get playing time at Roma. He's, you know, right now, obviously Jose Mourinho at this point, I think Reynolds is just trying to survive playing under Mourinho. But, as talented as Reynolds is if he's not getting games if he's not getting minutes i just don't see him getting called in ahead of the other fullbacks that i mentioned who are all should be getting playing time dest anthony robinson cannon Shaq Moore. they should all be getting playing time um obviously deandre yellen's one that's kind of like mm, is he, you know his situation in turkey is a little tricky right now basically what's going on in turkey is that they're they want to move they want to move him they don't want to pay him anymore they you know he's obviously you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't cheap. And right now, if they don't see him as a starter, I think they'd rather move him on. So Yedlin is facing an uncertain situation for playing time. So for that reason, that's why he's not, I don't have him in the group. Now, of course, Berhalder could decide, look, Yedlin's experience, I want to have it in the group. That could be different. But I'm going to go with that group that I mentioned: Dest, Brooks, Robinson, Robinson, <laughs> Vines, McKenzie, Sands, Zimmerman, Cannon, Moore. Now, plenty can change there. If McKenzie, you know, falls out of favor at Gank and he's he's not getting games, and it is interesting that he didn't play in the Champions League qualifier. He didn't he didn't play in that in those. So that bears watching. And for me, I tell you what, James Sands, I like. Anyone who didn't watch the Gold Cup, he was unbelievable in the Gold Cup. And his versatility, I mean, you want him in the group. You got to, like for me, you have to bring him. If you're, if I'm Greg Berhalter, I have to bring James Sands just because of the versatility. He can play center back. He can play defensive midfielder. He can play in the middle of a three. He can play in the middle of a four. So he can do all of these things. And he showed you in the Gold Cup that he can handle himself. He, ha- he played He played well against Mexico in the final. And I know he had some struggles against Qatar in the semifinal. Yes. But overall, as a tournament, I think James Sands' stock went through the roof in terms of the national team. So he, for me, is going to be part of the World Cup qualifying setup. So we'll see. that. So that's, you know, goalkeeper. That's defenders. Um... There's still, what is it? Again, there's still three weeks, so things can change, things can happen. I mean, in Brian Reynolds, perfect example. If Brian Reynolds, if if Jose Mourinho decides, look, I like Brian Reynolds, I'm going to put him in my lineup and play him, and he plays the next three weeks and he's doing well, obviously, in that case, Berhalter has to look at that and say, look, he's he's played his way into the lineup at Roma, he's getting minutes, He's and if he's doing well, in that situation, yes, you call him. You don't just call players just because they're at these teams. You call these players if they're at these teams and they're actually playing. So, for right now, Reynolds Richards they're out, but anything can change in the next three weeks, in my opinion. So, let's keep track. So we've covered Americans abroad, U.S. Men's National Team, and now we'll wrap up talking some MLS. And it's uh, Tuesday night was an interesting one because you had the Leagues Cup. Uh, which is a new tournament between MLS teams and Liga MX teams, and I know, I know some people are like skeptical, and you can put me in that group because I'm not buying it. I don't see the point of it. I still, the fact that MLS still hasn't sorted out the Champions League and won the Champions League and finally overcome that hurdle of beating Mexico in the Champions League like how do you how do you have that still being an issue and then you turn around and you create this competition and i get it i get the i get the motivation I get why they're doing it it's all about marketing it's all about trying to you know it's for both leagues liga League Mekis and m l s they're both looking for new customers they're both looking for new fans they're both trying to tap into each other's fan bases they know that they have. That there's a lot of... There's big segments of the fan bases for each side that don't follow the other. Tons of Liga Mequis fans and in the U.S. who don't bother with MLS. A good number of MLS fans who don't pay attention or don't watch Liga Mequis. So you understand why the leagues are doing this. But it doesn't make this competition any more compelling. Not yet, anyway. And Tuesday night was an interesting one because you had you had very opposite examples of why you had an example of why it can work and an example of why it won't work. The example that it, of it can't, that it can work is Seattle Sounders smacking up Tigres three nil. Brian Schmetzer started a full, you know, a, a strong team. Nicholas Lodero came back. Uh, you know, he's been injured lately. They put a strong team out. They beat Tigres three nil in Seattle, big win, impressive showing. And, Tigres manager Miguel Herrera is on the hot seat now because of this loss. So that's the good example. Now the bad example, Sporting Kansas City, they got crushed by Leon. Club Leon goes to Kansas City and puts a 6-1 smackdown on Sporting Kansas City. And if you didn't watch it and you don't know what happened in this game, KC basically trotted out a young team, reserve team, academy kids team, and they and they got beat. They got beat bad. And Peter Vermees, after the match, he was like, "Look, put it on me." Because when it came down to it, his squad, you know, Sporting KC's been playing a really congested schedule. They just sold Busio. They've got injuries. They just played at altitude against Colorado over the weekend. So you take all that into account, you can understand why Peter Vermees is like, listen. I don't care about this tournament. I don't care about, I don't even, what is, what is the League's Cup? No, I care about the playoffs. Care about supporters, supporters' Shield. First place in the West. These are the things I care about. MLS Cup. That's what I care about. Not League's Cup. So I don't blame Peter Vermees for going with a younger team. Just like I don't blame Brian Spencer for deciding to go with a full strength team. Each team should be able to do what they have to do and what they're able to do. Could Sporting KC have put out a stronger team? Absolutely. But if you just played at altitude a few days ago, you played in Colorado a few days ago. And now you turn around and you gotta play on a you know on a Tuesday against. A good Club León team, a, a, a Club León team, by the way, that I'm sure was looking for a little revenge on MLS after being eliminated by LAFC in the Champions League. Uh, what is it? It was a at least a year ago, right? It feels like two years ago, but I want to say it was a year ago. So, it's interesting. And that it, now, you, going into this whole thing, I thought, look, I'm sure, sure MLS officials are telling these teams, take it seriously, put your best teams out. We're really trying to sell this competition. We're really trying to like, you know, make it a thing. But at the end of the day, the coaches got to do what they what they feel is best for their teams. And obviously, on Tuesday night, you had two coaches completely opposite approaches, and I don't blame either. So now you look at NYCFC; they're going to play Pumas at home, and actually, I like their chances because I don't think the Pumas is not a is not a great team, and NYCFC is playing really well. But again, it's about balancing. They just played in Toronto on, uh, uh, over the weekend. Tough match, 2-2 draw. Now they have to play this Pumas team. They should beat Pumas. But it's a challenge. Ronnie is going to have to consider mixing things up. I don't see him going Vermee's route with all a super young team, but I don't know if we should expect a full, full, full strength team, NYCFC team. And then you have Orlando City taking on Santos Laguna in in, in in another league's cup match. And I think I think Asco Pareja is going to put a strong team out. Asco Pareja coached in the Mekis. He coached Club Tijuana. So I, I I'm pretty sure of these coaches, I'm sure he has respect for this competition and what it can represent and understands what it can represent. So I see Orlando City taking it seriously. And the fact that Nani didn't start over the weekend against Cincinnati tells me that. Now, he came off the bench and still did his thing and helped uh, help Orlando City get a point in Cincinnati. But, I think the fact that he didn't start shows you Oscar Pareja is ready to take this competition seriously. Now, let's talk about a competition that really matters. CONCACAF Champions League. And the Philadelphia Union are heading to Mexico to take on Club America in the semifinal first leg. Jim Curtin rested a lot of his starters over the weekend against New England with the intent of putting in a strong showing in this first leg. And it can't be overstated how important this first leg is because you cannot afford to get beat up in the first leg and give up, you know, three, four goals and then just have that, you know, that mountain to climb in the second leg. I think Jim Curtin understands and the Union are a good team that I think can absolutely compete. Are they going to beat Club America? I think it's really tough. Club America is a stacked team in, in the context of CONCACAF. And it's always relative because I know you always get some casuals who come on and like, wait a minute, ah, these teams are like whatever. It's not you know, PSG or Man City. Like, look, everything is always in the context of North America, of MLS, of the U.S. and Mexico. And in the context of North America, Club America is stacked. So it's not going to be easy, but the, uh, working in the union's favor is the fact that the union are in, in the middle of the season. They're in mid-season form. They should be as sharp as they're going to be. Club America, very early in their season. So that, there's an advantage there. And before anyone says, oh, that's not fair, listen, that's the same advantage that the Mexican teams have had in Champions League forever. Knockout rounds in the Champions League are usually March-April. When MLS is just starting their season and when Mexican teams are two months into their season. So it's it's been an advantage for Mexico for years. Now MLS is going to get an opportunity to have that advantage. Will that be enough for the union to knock off a team like Club America? Still going to be tough. But I think they're a team that's going to definitely put in a good show, put put in a good showing and put in a respectable showing. Does that mean they'll win? I don't know but i do think they can make it competitive enough in the first leg to take it back to chester take it back to subaru park for to have have it still be in the balance and that's what you want you want to you want you want them to have the chance in the second leg so i'm looking forward to that definitely looking forward to that match i think that's going to be a fun match i think it's going to be a good match because the union are a good team so we'll see we'll see how they do uh, in terms of the weekend's results, as I said, the uh, the Union lost to New England 2-1. Uh, to one. Obviously, look, New England, one of the best teams. Actually, they're the top team in the league right now. And I want to say, I give the Union credit, the fact that it was even close. It was 2-1. to one. Uh, Penalty, uh, Gustavo Bowe uh, followed up his own saved penalty to win it. But the union gave it a go. The union gave New England all they could handle with a team that was a very young team. And how about Paxton Aronson, younger brother of Brendan Aronson, scoring a golazo. his first goal. And there's another name. Add another young American to the list of players that you need to keep track of. Paxton Aronson. You know, there's talk that oh he could be better than bro- he could be better than his brother Brendan, and that'd be that'd be pretty damn impressive. So keep an eye out, remember the name. You had Atlanta United. Beating the Columbus Crew three to two, finally winning. I don't know what the streak was—twelve games, thirteen games without a win, whatever it is—they finally have won, and they look good doing it. They look good, and the, I get it. The Crew are not—the Crew are in a slump right now. They're not in a good way right now. Caleb Porter's got to be, you know, punching holes in walls right now at the fact that his team is just really in a bad slump right now. But if you're Atlanta, if you're and you're Rob Valentino, you're feeling pretty damn good that you can go. To Columbus without Joseph Martinez, and you get a win. That's huge. And Ezekiel Barco looking good, Ezekiel Barco looking like the player they hoped they would they they were getting when they signed him. I mean, that's huge. Especially considering with this play, the the designated player signing they just made, when you had when you add that to Joseph Martinez returning and just the different vibe around the team once Gabriel Heinze was removed as head coach, things are looking up in Atlanta. Now, are they going to keep Miles Robinson? Are they going to keep George Bello or are they going to sell Bello? I don't I don't th- I don't think they're going to sell Miles Robinson at least not now, not in the summer. But maybe just maybe Atlanta can make a push for the playoffs. I know I said I want I don't know if it was last episode or, or the one before that, I I was like, "Nah, Atlanta, look, it's time to look at next year, no chance." But I'm looking at the standings, Atlanta is 6 points out of the playoff places. That's, you know, six points out of the playoff places halfway through the season. Is it impossible? No. Especially not with the reinforcements. So keep an eye out on Atlanta because they just might be one of those teams that just tears it up in the second half. Because they have the team. They have the talent. They had the talent. I never, I didn't understand why, why it didn't work with he- Gabriel Hines. I thought he was going to be a good fit. I thought it was going to work out. I thought they were going to do well. But Rob Valentino, I get, you got to give Rob Valentino some credit. He's doing well with them. Is he going to get the chance to finish out the rest of the season as the interim? At this point, it's looking like that. And uh, I'll tell you what, Atlanta could absolutely be a team that just gets hot in the second half. Keep an eye out. Uh, Other results to keep track of. TFC rallied from 2-0 down to tie NYCFC. And this was an interesting one because, for one, NYCFC, again, in the first half, looked unbelievable. And to go up to Toronto and outplay TFC in the first half, it was impressive. But what needed to be what needs to be pointed out about this match was Josie Altador and Michael Bradley were taken out of the match in the early in the second half, or was it halftime? It, they were taking out taken out of the match with the team losing 2-0. And once they were out of the match, TFC with the, substitute, TFC with the substitutes that they made were re-energized and they rallied to a 2-2 draw. And it's interesting because in the in the follow-up to that, TFC announced that they're going to keep Javier Perez as the as the head coach for the rest of the year. So my question is this, right? Uh, so Michael Bradley, he plays every game. And they've been playing a congested schedule. And I just have to ask, at what point do you have to consider trying to do a better job of managing his, his minutes? Managing his how you use Michael Bradley? Because Michael Bradley at this point in his career is not a 90 minutes twice a week player. He just isn't. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have that gas tank. When he's rested and when he's, you know, the battery is fully charged, he can still give you a very good game. But I think we saw against NYCFC in that first half, he did, he didn't look up for it. He looked tired. And I think that's going to be the big question for Javier Perez is how do you manage that? Because I'm sure Michael Bradley wants to play every minute, every game. He wants, he never wants to come out. He never wants to be out. He wants to be a starter every single game. And that's that's going to be the tricky part. And as far as Altador goes, I, look, Altador, I think he'll be all right. I think he'll be fine. But Bradley is one where, in terms of managing, because when he's he can still give you a high level, but even is even Bradley willing to make that concession? Is he, is Michael Bradley himself willing to start to to buy into the idea of of having his minutes managed, of not playing every single game ninety minutes or starting every single game when you're playing? Every three days. He's not 25 anymore. He's not 27. He's not 30. He's like, what? how old is he now? He's, he's, not a, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And I think it was very telling how different TFC was after Altidore and Bradley came out of that match. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, last couple I'll touch on before we wrap up. Uh, Chicago Fire beat the New York Red Bulls. Uh, and I, I said last episode, the Chicago Fire have been showing me some things. Especially at home. And we know the Red Bulls on the road, they just struggle. They're just not, you know, they're a young team. They haven't done well on the road. But the Chicago Fire, again, another team who I think in the second half of the season could really make a run, really make a push up standings. They're not, they're even further back than Atlanta. They're seven points out of the playoffs places. But I think the Fire are going to be a handful. Um, I, I definitely do because I just, you've seen some of these games, you know, whether it's NYCFC, whether it's Philly, they've played some very good teams very close. So we'll see. We'll see if Rafael Wickey can get them rolling in the second half. Uh, and then la- the last one I'll touch on, Inter Miami beats Nashville. Late winner from Indiana Vasilev in stoppage time. And uh, should we start looking at Miami as a team that can make a run in the second half? I'm still not sold. I'm still not sold. But at least you're seeing a little bit of progress, a little bit of movement. The good news is they've moved out of the basement. They're not in last place in the East anymore. They've actually moved up to 12th place. But they're currently eight points out of the playoff places. And the good news is they have two games in hand. So they still have an opportunity to close that gap even more. Am I sold? No, not yet. Not yet sold. But the next couple of weeks should tell us a lot about whether or not this is a mirage or if the if this Miami team really is starting to... Take to whatever Phil Phil Neville is trying to, uh, you know, teach them or guide them to toward being. So we'll see. Uh, but it is interesting. It's good. you know what? It's good for the league for Miami to be competitive. And you don't want Miami being a last place team, a gimme win for anyone who goes to Miami. You don't want that. You want them to be competitive. And at least in recent weeks, they've started to be competitive. So I think that's it. I, I think you know we touched on everything that I wanted to touch on. As I said. Next episode, I will touch on the midfielders and the forwards for the U.S. Men's National Team uh, World Cup qualifying squad. And I'll also give my MLS midseason award picks in the next episode. And we should have some room for some Q&A. I know I I said I was going to do Q&A one of these episodes Apologies, I couldn't squeeze it into this one because I ended up going longer on some of these other things that I thought I was going to, but next episode, we will touch on some Q&As. If you haven't submitted a question, uh, go on Twitter and send a question with the hashtag Ivis. And if you don't have Twitter or don't use Twitter, you can always try the comment section of this episode of the SBI show on SBI. And uh, if I see a question, if I see questions on there, I'll I'll be sure, to, if they're a good one, if they're good questions, I'll be sure to add them into the next episode. But I think that's it. I think we've covered everything. Big weekend ahead. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely be previewing. We'll preview everything with, you know, the Premier League kicking off, the Bundesliga kicking off, La Liga kicking off. So there'll be some European soccer to discuss. I didn't even get to talk about the Messi situation. And I don't want to. Not a, Not now. It is a sad day, though. It is a sad day to see him leave. But it is exciting to consider the possibilities of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. My kids are, are, are loving it. I think casual soccer fans are loving it. It's not great for Barcelona, but it's going to make things interesting. So we'll see. We'll touch on some more European soccer next episode. But again, thank you for listening. And I'm always looking for advice, I'm always looking for feedback. So if you have any feedback, anything you love, anything you hate, uh, one thing I would ask if you're still listening at this point, uh, if you haven't before, if you get a chance, if you happen to listen to the SBI show on the Apple podcast app, leave a uh, leave a leave a review, leave a review. I'd like to see some reviews and some, you know, if you have some feedback, by all means, submit some there a uh, you know that that's one area that I can see I can see those reviews I can see the feedback and take it in I I'm listening I'm willing to listen to negative feedback as well I think someone wrote uh, I do a little too much mansplaining which okay thought that was interesting so I'm trying to do less mansplaining so if you got some positive feedback some negative feedback whatever give me feedback I'll try to make the show better but that's it that's all for now I'm Iviscolalarsa this is the SBI show